days on the boulevard I landed. We used to kick routines and the presence was fitting. It was I, the abstract. And me, the five-footer. I kicks the mad style, so step off the Frankfurter. Yo, Fife, you remember that routine that we used to make spiffy like Mr. Clean? Um, um, a tidbit, um, a smidgen. I don't get the message, so you got to <laughs> okay. run the pigeon. You're on point, Fife. All the time, Tip. You're on point, Fife. All the time, Tip. You're on point, Fife. All the time, Tip. So then grab the microphone and let your words rip. Now here's a funky introduction of how nice I am. Tell your mother, tell your father, send a telegram. I'm like an energizer, cause you see I last long. My crew is never ever whack because we stand strong. Now if you say my style is whack, that's where you're dead wrong. I slay that body in El Segundo, then push it along. You'll be a fool to reply the fight is not the man. Cause you know, and I know, that you know who I am. A special shout out piece goes out to all my pals, you see. And a middle finger goes for all you punk MCs. Cause I love it when you whack MCs despise me. What is up, Doe? Welcome to another edition of the Pixel and Roll Show. We discuss this frustrating damn basketball team, your Washington Wizards. Hello, everyone. This is Adam McGinnis. It is March 28th, 2016, a Monday evening here in the nation's capital. A little, little windy and chilly here today, a little bit more for my taste. But it was a very nice Easter weekend, so belated, belated happy Easter to everyone. Sorry I've not recorded a podcast in a while. We had some logistical uh, mess-ups over this last week. But rest assured, we have been watching this basketball team uh, along with you. The, the Wizards currently are 36-37. and 37. They just defeated the Los Angeles Lakers last night. They have four games left on a, a West Coast road trip. They play... Uh, the Golden State Warriors tomorrow evening, Tuesday night, and then they play the Kings, I believe. Uh, and then they play the, Cl- the Suns and the Clippers to, to round out their trip. But with me today, uh, unofficially, officially, the co-host of this podcast show, uh, Mr. Rashad Mobley. Rashad, uh, happy belated Easter to you. Uh, how are you doing, bro? Hanging in there. I'm, I'm scoreboard watching as I'm podcasting, so please excuse the multitasking. Live live updates for this eight seed in the Eastern Conference, huh? What, what, what's what's the current sitch? Well, Adam, right now it is uh, my my screen is refreshing, but it was fifty two forty five just a minute ago. Uh, Atlanta was leading Chicago, but more importantly, Chicago was playing well. They look a little feisty, so there's 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 hope, I guess, if you're a Bulls fan. But I expect the Hawks to win. How, how how was your weekend? I, I heard a I heard a rumor uh, on the Facebook machine that you did not have the kid on Sunday. That you and your wife had a had a had a kid free kid free day. Yes, it was it was very adult. He went to his grandfather's for Easter uh, and hung out with the family, and we did what adults do. Adults do. So it was it was very relaxing. I got a jarring return back to reality when he came back today. So it's uh, back to back to the real world. All, all jacked up on on sugar, Easter candy, all of that. Just it's complete anarchy over at Pop Pop's house. So now we have to break it down. Break it back down. Yeah, mine was a little similar but different. I drank way too much Sunday fun day. Uh, on on Sunday, this girl I knew visited me, and I she got too drunk and couldn't leave. It was one. Of, it went from like, oh, this could be a Fun sat- Sunday catching up to, wow, uh, how do I get rid of a drunk girl out of my place? Uh, anyway, <laughs> it, it was not, it wasn't as cool as it, as it, as it sounds, but, uh, let's get to this basketball team. Like I mentioned, they are currently 36 and 37. Rashad, the last time we re- recorded a podcast, they were 30 and 30 
I was high on my own wizard supply. Uh, just geeks ready. The team had won five in a row. They'd, they'd been finally 500, and they're ready to take on the world. Obviously, that did not happen. They lost five in a row to go 30 and 35. They looked dead and buried. And then, of course, they went five in a row to even back up at 35 and 35. Uh, some, some big victories in that. And then they... They lost to the Hawks, and then they had a devastating loss to the T-Wolves before beating the Lakers last night, like I mentioned. What, I mean, 25 and 30, 30 and 30, 30 and 35, 35 and 35. I mean, this team just seems to be the team that it always has been, is in, consistently inconsistent, correct? I mean, we keep wanting them to do more than they're really showing and proving. Maybe their identity is just who they are, is... They're going to be this up and down basketball team that's going to be consistently inconsistent, dude. It's, it's, it's totally frustrating because, you know, even the lineup isn't consistent. Some nights, Alan Anderson is out there and you can rely on him to come off the bench and be effective, and then he's not there. I mean, last night, even though uh, the Wizards won, Markeith Morris wasn't there. There just isn't, there isn't that continuity that you need to see out of the lineup, and we aren't the Spurs or Golden State where a couple of parts can be missing and the system is so effective that it can just overcome one or two players. This really is a team that needs everyone. And it just, you'll see like in a five game win streak, everybody's playing together. I mean, John Wall has been the only constant and somebody else will step up. And then as we'll talk about when we go to that second Hawks game or the Timberwolves game, you're just looking around like, I, I can't believe this is happening. There's seemingly no leadership. There's nobody's taking charge. And so at this point, as we just were joking around before we went on, the reality is they're in 10th place. The Bulls have been free-falling like Tom Petty, and we still can't pass them. Like, we're <laughs> literally, the Wizards are still in 10th place. And, I mean, if Chicago loses tonight, they'll fall back. But it's just they've been plenty of opportunities. I think this weekend was a golden opportunity when Indiana, Detroit, and the Bulls lost, and because the Wizards did not take care of business in their past two games, they were turning water. So at some point, you, you realize that this team is just not very good as it's currently constructed or it's poorly coached, um, maybe a combination of both. And as my father said today, even if they make the playoffs, do you want to see them get slaughtered by Cleveland? Is that really what, what you want to see? Do you get anything out of that? So, you know, I don't, I don't know what to make of the team. Even Bradley Beal... When asked, I, I think it was David Aldridge who asked him, how did you get in this position? He said, I, I don't know. So they, they don't even know. That is true. I, I would favor that they make the playoffs because it's better for blogging business. It's better for podcasting business. <laughs> and also, it's better for the Monumentals' uh, bottom line to have two home games. But yes, getting blown up by the Cavs in four games would sting. But then since we're pretty much likely not to have a first-round pick, they have to make the playoffs in that sense. That it still is a positive because you don't even have the pick to look forward to, right? You don't have the pick. You don't have Durant, and there's there's just there's not a lot to look forward to. Even if you get a new coach, then especially in this town, it's just a feeling of of a rebuild. Even though you're not doing it from a personnel standpoint, you bring a new coach in here, you're going to have a completely new staff for really the first time since. Flip was brought in because there was some overlap, you know. So it's it's there's a lot riding on them making the playoffs, and I I guess I should go back a little bit. Getting blown out by the Cavs is not a given. 
when you see what's going on with the Cavaliers, they're just as inconsistent as the Wizards. They just got a they had a wonderful start where they have some they have room for error, but they're not exactly burning the world up right now. So I shouldn't say that it's a lost cause. I just given how Kyrie lights up when he sees John Wall, I don't I don't feel confident about that. And I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself because they still have to make up basically three games. So, but you know, what are, what are we talking about here? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, let's go back and, you know, I've done a podcast since these games, and I like to always mention the games I've played. Now it seems like forever ago, but they destroyed the Bulls at home, 117 to 96. Then on the first day of March Madness on St. Patty's Day, they won in Philly, 99 to 94. Almost blew another lead versus Philly. I, I don't really get this team on that one. And then on sat, sat that following last Saturday night, uh, two Saturday nights ago, they beat the Knicks at home in kind of a victory that you've been looking at of this team. Be like, okay, a winnable team, beat them at home, took care of business, and it felt like they had things set up. What do you remember from those three games? I know it's been a while, but your takeaway from any of those things stand out from the Bulls, 76ers, or the Knicks wins? I... <sighs> I was happy that they played well, and those are games that you have to win. Those are easy games on the schedule, particularly the Bulls game. They had to make up for the last time when they inexplicably lost to a bunch of Bulls reserves. So that was important. The Sixers wasn't a big deal. Beating the Knicks was a big deal because that, you know, the Knicks aren't exactly playing for anything, but they have just enough firepower to give the Wizards trouble. But just when I look at those games, I look at it, it felt like they were taking care of business. There seemed to be a pattern where Wall was leading the way and someone else was stepping up. And it just felt like, okay, now they're they're getting into a rhythm. And really, they had to build enough momentum so that when they got to the tougher games, like the one against the Hawks, it was okay because they had such a win streak. And so, I mean, basically things were going according to plan. When you sit down and play the schedule game and you look at the games and you see the Sixers coming up and you see the Knicks, you're saying to yourself, those are winnable games. Um, I really didn't, well, I'm jumping ahead, but when we got to the two Hawks games, I really didn't think they were going to win both of those. I thought they were going to lose in Atlanta and win in D.C., and they did the opposite. But just the fact that before those two games, they were taking care of business, finally said to me, okay, this this team is ready for the playoff run. They're, they're, in, the, they're in that zone. Yeah, of course, I'm going to focus on the negative, but that Philly game was just so painful once again to watch you know almost did the same exact thing that they did the last time they beat them at home where they had built up a huge lead looks like wall was gonna be able to sit out the fourth quarter and they just throw up a dud to this no-name philly team and they almost blow the game and they basically needed uh, harvey grant's boy to miss some key free throws late and and also needed marcus thornton to get hot and i'm like oh my god the playoff are on the line again, and it's up to Marcus Thornton to make some contested 18-foot fadeaways. <laughs> like it just, it just doesn't seem like a recipe for success. But yes, they came back and handled the Knicks, and I was like, okay, they got some rhythm, and here we go, and they're going to play these games against Atlanta. First game in Atlanta, the next game in D.C. And they go into Atlanta, and dude, it was they won 117 to 102. Atlanta had not given up. It was like the most points Atlanta had given up all year. Atlanta had been playing very well going leading into that game. And the Wizards in the second half, especially John Wall again and Bradley Beal, it was one of the most impressive victories that they've had uh, all season. And something and it, tie, it tied their record up at 35-35. and 35, and, and now they're coming back home and a chance for momentum. Before we go into the disappointment afterwards, what do you, what do you, what do you remember from that Atlanta game uh, last Monday night? 
Well, it was, you know, initially when I was watching the game, I was just, first of all, Beal and Wall were both on your game. So that, I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't seem to happen very often, so I was happy to see that. But when I sat back and watched the game a second time, and yes, I watched the game twice because clearly my name is Ron Jaworski. I looked at the tape <laughs> and, like, I noticed, and I have props to, to John Townsend who also noticed this while he was watching the game. You saw that there were a lot of things happening that were atypical of both the Wizards and the Hawks team. The Hawks missed a lot of open shots, shots that they normally don't miss. I think Kyle Korver only uh, made one or two. Uh, he only took three uh, three-pointers, so he didn't shoot very much. And the Wizards went like 13 for 26. They were hitting an unusual amount of threes. And the combination of both is just it's rare. It's rare for the Hawks this season, and it's really not the Wizards either. And so... You know, once I watched the game a second time and I read the recaps, I was a little concerned that the Wizards will be lulled into this. Okay, we we got this team, or we can pick up some bad habits, and that's ultimately what happened. So it was it was kind of fool's gold because they didn't the Wizards didn't win the way they usually do. They won with the Hawks missing a lot of shots and then making shots that they normally don't make. And I I was just concerned the next game. You know, the Wizards don't exactly thrive on making adjustments, and you saw what happened the next game. I mean, Dennis Schroeder was aggressive, the shots were falling, and Wall and everyone, I mean, Bill didn't show up at all, um, and it just, it was a completely different result. And so that was a little disheartening. Losing to the Hawks is not a bad thing, but losing by 21 when you were so close uh, for much of the game, and Bill doesn't play nearly as well as he played against the Hawks on that Monday, that is disheartening. And it just, you know, it's, it's playoff season. Like, you're literally, for the last 15 games where the Wizards have been in the playoffs, and you can't afford for your second-best player just to be AWOL and to not show up. Yeah, it is indicative. Going back to the first game you mentioned, uh, Wall had 27 points. He was 3 of 5 from threes. Beal had 25 points, 5 of 6 from threes. So they're combined 8 of 11 from threes and 52 points. And that is why I picked them to win 50 games this year. <laughs> you know, like, like, I thought we'd get that a lot, right? Right. <laughs> and, right. And, you know, due to injuries, due to Wall having an early season slump, Beal never could ever get any consistency. He'd have these flashes. But I felt that we could get those games out of those two dudes and everything else would kind of, you know, we're on the margins. But hey, man, if those two young studs play the way they could play, they could pretty much, you know, be one of the top teams in the East. It, it just has never materialized for multiple reasons that we'll obviously discuss on this podcast uh, and on truthaboutit.net uh, probably all summer because there'll be nothing to talk about because there's no draft picks. Uh, so going into this game, so no, they have this huge win. They're back to 500. They come home, and here they are again. The Wizards should be able to take care of this team. What I felt when I look back at that game, in the, the, the loss, they lost 122 to 101. So what you mentioned was three things that struck that struck me was the beginning of the game, the Wizards kind of had, you saw they kind of had a carryover. They had some momentum going, and they were playing pretty well. And they ended up only being up by like four or five points, and it felt like they should have had a bigger lead. And then the second unit came in, didn't, no one could stop Dennis Schroeder. And so it was pretty much a tie game at halftime. And then the Wizards completely fall apart in the third quarter. Mike Scott, Mr. Emoji Tat, shout out to my boy Josh Phelps, UVA, sorry about yesterday's game. Just he's hitting threes. Everyone, 
Atlanta had a season high. How many threes they hit? They hit. They hit 17 of 42 threes, <laughs> which is a shit ton of threes. But you know, you have Tim Hardaway uh, was plus 30. Jenna Schroeder plus 27. Mike Scott, like I mentioned, plus 17. Uh, they all had multiple threes. No one could stop the German dude. Uh, he had 23 points in 20 minutes. He was incredible. And the Wizards, now, at the end of the game, now they're just throwing the ball away. And then pretty much the game was over in the middle of the fourth quarter. And that, to me, was the most disappointing thing, is that the defense, not ability to build up a lead, and the the, the Beal, they seemed to fluster Beal. Like, there was a lot of, uh, I read some articles uh, after the game that Kyle Corver had mentioned to, to the media how they tried five or six different defenses because, and they finally stuck with one that worked. And it seemed like they did a lot of pressure in the ball. Thabo was doing a hell of a job denying Beal the ball, making it tough for him to catch. And, and Beal, you said he had a terrible game. What was Bradley Beal? He was 0 for 1 from 3, 2 of 8. Eight shots in 31 minutes. I mean, that, you just can't have that, right? I, I, you just, and Wall didn't shoot well. He had 13 points. So Bradley Beal, they went from, what, 56 points, uh, 52 points, to they had 20 the next time they play. And, you know, Marcus Thornton pumped in a bunch of threes and garbage points later, and he had 23. So the Wizards didn't get really, so they didn't lose by 40, so they lost by 20. But it just like, oh, Atlanta made the adjustments from the previous game, and the Wizards did not. And I feel like it was also, you know, on the players – but where was the coaching adjustments? I didn't, I didn't see them being made while, obviously, the Hawks made theirs. Well, they, they, there were no adjustments made. And that game turned in the first quarter. If you remember, Wall went to the bench. Uh, Garrett Temple and Schroeder came in the game at the same time. And you could just see that Schroeder was going to be aggressive. And so it didn't matter. At that point, you didn't know whether the Hawks were going to be hitting any outside shots or not because Schroeder was forcing the issue. And so, you know, the Wizards were still trying to fight under the screens. And then as Wall noticed after the game, uh, the big men started rolling to the basket and just blowing up the Wizards' defense. And so all of a sudden, the lane was open, the perimeter was open. And whereas the, the previous game, that wasn't the case. The Wizards' defense was working perfectly and the Hawks were missing shots. The Hawks were making shots. Schroeder was getting in the lane, and you're right. There were no adjustments at all. Even Temple, who normally is a pretty solid defender, got himself in foul trouble. And so then he had Sessions trying to guard him, and it just it completely threw everything off. But even with that, they still, you know, the Wizards were still hanging in there for a little bit. But then, like I said, by the time the third quarter came, it was just it completely blew up, and the body language is what was disturbing. I mean, it didn't matter how many timeouts Whitman called. The body language was bad, and then corporate got high, and it just piled on and piled on. And it just didn't seem like... I mean, ideally, again, if you're fighting for the playoff, there should be a point where there's a timeout, and somebody goes crazy, and somebody ramps it up and says, we need to do this, this, and that. And it, it didn't happen. And Beal, you just said it yourself. When Beal is playing well and Wall are playing well, they're going to win 50 games. They're going to win most of the games. They say it on NBA TV all the time. Whenever it, whether it's Barkley or Kenny Smith, when they look at the Wizards, they're like, what happened? You know, when Bill and Wall are playing together, they're hard to beat. But, you know, there's other factors that go into it. The defense isn't there. And it just, it was, it was tough to look at that, that, that Hawks game because I know the Hawks are better and you know the Hawks are better, but they're not 21 points getting beat at home better. And, it just, 
it, it, it didn't make any sense that they got beat that badly and there were no adjustments made to, to Schroeder at all. Yeah, Gary Temple, they got outscored 70-45 to 45 in the second half yes, at home. At that home. Is That's abysmal. pathetic. Gary Temple played four minutes and 48 seconds. He was 0-2 from the field, had four fouls, and negative 15 plus minus. <laughs> That's like hard to do. <laughs> See, with Gary Temple, the point, all the other stuff he does offensively, while it was nice, and I know John hates the fact that Temple gets praised for his open shooting because he faded towards the end of the year last year, too. But I don't care about the way Temple scores. What I do care about is his defense because when he's playing good defense, he's disruptive. He's getting his hand on the ball. And he was just flat out getting beat. And he just could not guard Schroeder. And so, you know, it, it, it was – it was tough to look at. He was getting frustrated. He was reaching. He he didn't have anything for Schroeder at all. What you you were at that game covering the game? What what was your impressions in the locker room or what you witnessed? Uh, anything in the arena of note? It was just a dejected look in the Wizards' locker room. Like they know that every loss is is crucial at this point. Like they can't lose, but they just. They were all incredulous because they couldn't believe that, okay, just a couple nights ago we were right there, but what happened? And, you know, Bill wasn't being passive-aggressive and saying we didn't make adjustments or anything like that, but you can just, they just had this look like, like, what happened? And, you know, you really can't afford, there was no plan B. I just put it that way. There was no plan B, and they just looked shell-shocked. And, again, a good team, a playoff team, should be able to make some kind of adjustment in the game, especially when there's so much at stake. So, and as Randy, I mean, I don't want to get too much ahead, but as Randy Whitman said, after the next game in Minnesota, there's just there's too many ups and downs. There's too many peaks and valleys. This team, they're they're frontrunners sometimes. Where when things start going badly, they don't know how to to stop it. They don't know how to get their body language together. And this is from the coaching to the players. There's nobody there who can say. What are we doing? And it was no more evident than it was in this game. Well, let's go to Friday night. Oh, my effing goodness, dude. So me and you covered this game together. Uh, you know, it was a Friday, beautiful Friday evening. You had tournament games on, 75 degrees. The cherry blossoms are popping. And me and you are inside the Verizon Center <laughs> watching a 23-win ball game against a, a struggling, mediocre team trying to fight for an eighth spot against Minnesota, who, yes, they have a bunch of talent, young players, but they're not really even trying to win. Uh, Wiggins didn't really even have a good game. Garnett wasn't playing. Uh, you know, Towns ended up having a really, really, you know, solid, solid game and helped to have victory. But this is a game the Wizards have to take control of. And did, not only do they not just put this team away early and just have a walkthrough like they should – it came way too close, and the Wizards found multiple, multiple times to blow this game. And and I talked to David Aldridge. They lose. Okay, they lost the T Wolves, one thirty two to one twenty nine in double overtime. Missed maybe two or three game winners. The T Wolves hit crazy shots. Zach Levine had two threes uh, to tie it. Uh, George Gore, Deang, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. He hit a three. He'd, he'd hit four threes all year. Four fifteen. He hits a corner three. And there was so many times that the Wizards could just, you know, like they had done in these Philly games I'm bitching about, but they found a ways to win at the end, a lot of it because of the incompetence of Philly, but they did scratch out the victory, and, and it doesn't really matter right now how they get, get these Ws. They have to get Ws. And to blow a winnable home game against Minnesota, a team that doesn't even give a shit 
about winning. He probably wants to lose for their draft pick. While you're about to embark on a five-game road trip that is looming to, you know, we have the defending champs, you have the Clippers, you have, you know, places you have not played well lately, as in Phoenix and Sacramento. I, it just was just devastating. Like, I felt my will of this team was was blasted in that Denver, out in Denver in the fourth quarter. Like, they defeated me. Just the effort I saw this team, and they, obviously they sucked us back in with a, with a winning streak. But Friday night, man, after it was all over, dude, like, I just, I was incredulous. I was like, man, this is, put a fork in this season. I, I said to David Aldridge in the locker room, uh, in the Wizards locker room after the game, was like, was, put a fork in it? Is it over? And he's like, yeah, it's over. He's like, they have to win out their 10 games, and he didn't see that, see that happening. Your thoughts, did they correctly describe the misery of the excruciating experience on Friday night at the phone booth uh, while we, uh, you know, <laughs> watched, actually, I tried to watch college basketball the whole time instead. <laughs> yeah, you you did, and I won't, I won't name any names because I don't know if they want the sentiment out there, but there were a couple of TV personality slash writers who basically had the same sentiment that David Aldridge, they were like, this is it, that's a wrap, and... You know, I I also rewatched that game, and there are a couple of things that strike me. Um, that struck me. Number one, maybe I'm being unreasonable, but if I'm John Wall, I'm the point guard. I know that I can and have been getting mine whenever I want. Don't you kind of go to the coach, or just make it your business to make sure that Bradley Beal gets off, given that he struggled the last game, he disappeared in the last game. You want to make sure that he gets the ball. And when you go back and watch the game, there are at least five or six possessions where Brad Bill is literally standing. He's either standing in the corner or he's coming off picks, coming off screens. And as he's turning the corner to look for the ball, Wall has either already driven to the opposite side and got his own shot or he's passed to someone else. And this happened about five or six times in a row. And... I mean, you know, Bill, when he doesn't get the ball, he starts, you see the shoulder slumping and you, maybe well, he, he doesn't. Starts, he starts pouting for sure. Right. He does. But in this case, I felt like he was justified because Wall doesn't need to get his in the first quarter. And especially when Marquise Morris, you know, towards the end of the first quarter got hurt. Like, I didn't feel like at any point Wall was really get, trying to get his man going. Now, Bill got going in the second quarter, but by that point, as, Randy Whitman said after the game, Minnesota was already confident. They were already in the game. They had already hung with the Wizards for the first quarter, and it, it didn't matter. I just thought so that that's something that bothered me about the game. And you you just have to rewatch it and just focus solely on Bill and look how many times he does not get the ball. It's Wall's job. Um, but two, you know, <sighs> Coach Whitman – just couldn't wait to get Nene and Gortan back in the game. And, yeah, let's discuss that. You know, so so Rakeem gets hurt, and so that he starts the second half with the big lineup of Nene and Gortat, even though this whole season has been about not playing them together. And then he does it again in the overtimes, which I, I don't really understand why he kept rolling that. Even though I thought Nene had a really good uh, first overtime, which should have helped him won the game, actually. Yeah, Nene played, he played a good game, but you don't want Nene in the game late in the game for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's not a good free throw shooter. But number two, as you saw on one of the last plays, when it comes to setting, running the pick and roll, Carl Anthony Towns did not care about Nene at all. In fact, when he went to set the screen, he just switched and went straight to Bill because 
what what is Nene going to do? Roll out to the three point line? Like he posed zero threat at all. And yes, Nene can set solid screens, but he's not a threat. And at that point, you want as many offensive threats out on the floor so that you can spread Minnesota out. He didn't do that. Bill couldn't even get room to shoot the ball. And so that that was completely frustrating. I know David Aldridge wrote in his column today that you really can't have Dudley in there for long stretches because he's undersized. But, you know, I just I just feel like Whitman could not wait to start them. I mean, he did it again last night. He just couldn't wait to start those two. And it just – I don't even blame that on Marquise getting hurt because that wasn't an excuse. Had Bill gotten off to a hot start, they, they – it, it would have been a totally different game. But, you know, as I'm sitting there and I'm watching Minnesota get hot and then you're watching Dang hit corner threes and Zach Levine and Carl Anthony Towns get all the shots that you want. And they're doing all this and Andrew Wiggins hasn't even gotten off yet. It just, there was a certain inevitability to that game and you just felt like they're not going away. And, you know, at one point when I, when you rewatch the game, like Bill Chenier and Steve Buckhans are sitting there wondering, why, why can't they put this team away? Like, why, why are they still in there? And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a bad loss. And it's the kind of loss that's going to come back to haunt them because they wanted to build up enough of a cushion so that when you inevitably lose to Golden State tomorrow night, it's okay because you won all the games you were supposed to. And uh, like I wrote in my article, at one point, uh, oh, that was that was the Hawks game. Okay, never mind. They just They just looked completely dejected where on the flip side when you go over to the Timberwolves locker room they just the car Anthony Towns in particular was like you know we just we just kept fighting and we kept fighting and we could see that they couldn't put us away we just got more and more confident and they just used that game as a building block for next year you know that and you're right maybe they come into the game just you know trying to play out the string and all of a sudden after the first quarter, they're right in there. And as Randy Woodman accurately said, they just got more and more confident. They were like, okay, they can't put us away. And if we do this, we're still within 10 and we can win this. And that is not what you do when you're trying to get into the playoffs. You get in there and you, and you blow them out. And, you know. Well, what's striking to me was the in women, you're referencing Woodman's comments, they gave up 62 points in the first half to a team that, you know, is okay offensively. They're one of the worst defensive teams. But since the All-Star break, the Wizards, this, this little run has been based upon the Wizards' defense. They're ranked fourth in, uh, in defense since the All-Star break. They're giving up 100 points per 100 possessions. Against the T-Wolves, it was 121 points. So a 20-point difference, essentially. Uh, you, you, and there it is. I mean, I know it's a small sample size, but that, the Wizards' defense just was not there. The free throws, we have to mention the free throws. Uh, the, the T-Wolves were 22-22 from the line. The Wizards were 16 to 23. Mr. Marchin Gortat was three of eight and missed two huge free throws in double overtime with 10 seconds left with a chance to either tie it or take the lead by one. And he missed both free throws. I have a video that I recorded and you can see in between the first miss and the second miss that he was flustered and thinking about it. And I was like, he's not going to make this. And it wasn't even close. Like they both were bricks. And so he was, he had missed five free throws and he's a 70% free throw shooter. So it wasn't even an A missing the free throws. And then the inability to close. What you just mentioned. They're up seven with two minutes left in the fourth. They're up, they're up four points with 15 seconds left in, in overtime. And they're up five points with two minutes left in the first overtime or the second overtime. And the T Wolves in the game on an 8-0 run. And in between there, and this is what I wrote in my, in my uh, game recap was the two possessions 
in the, the second overtime where they one had a shot clock violation and then almost had another shot clock violation, but had to throw up a prayer that barely hit the rim. And there was two just empty possessions like that that we've seen over and over this year. The Wizards defensively and offensively just check out and it's cumulative effect and it finally catches up to them. And, and that was two times that are striking because they're in late situations, but we've seen this with this team all season. And that is the really, really frustrating aspect. I know that the NBA came back out and said the Wizards got screwed on a bunch of calls, like 12 of them or something. I don't know if you saw that article. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they review all these plays at the end of the game. They, Wall, I guess, got hit a couple times. They didn't call, which maybe would have made the difference a little bit. But once again, this is a 23-win team that didn't even show excitement when they won the game. Like, here they won this awesome game on the road in double overtime, and when they, the game was over, nobody really even acted like they give, get cared if they won or lost. I couldn't tell if Minnesota won or lost after the game. That's how indifferent they were. And here the Wizards are fighting for the playoff lives. Uh, you know, a lot of guys fighting for their careers to stay in the NBA. You got a coach fighting for his job and all this. You know, reputations are on the line. Money's on the line. Livelihoods are on the line. And they're just kind of going through the motions when they shouldn't be, dude. <laughs> right? Yeah, but I, I'm going to – I mean, yes, Gortat missed those two free throws. But as as somebody said on, on Twitter, I guess what was more disturbing is that John Wall – Passed up that open should, shot. Passed up an open shot, and it felt like he was still in his own head from, I think it was the first overtime when he had a wide-open layup, and he missed it. Like, you just don't – I'm sure Gortat was surprised to even get the ball because John Wall normally doesn't pass there. So I don't completely blame Gortat. That's 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 something that Wall should have finished. But, I mean – Yeah, I was going to ask – I was going to ask Wall after the game about why – I was trying to th- – figure out a way to actually ask him, like, what were you doing? Because there was multiple times it looked like he was right at the rim and he passed out. One time was the Dudley, and then another time he passed out again. It was a turnover. There was at least three times that it looked like he had right at the rim. We've seen John Wall do that a lot over his career, but this was like, yo, dude, like, go to the – you're right at the rim. I don't think anybody was coming over to shot block. I wanted to ask him why he he made that decision, but it was a depressing end to a game, and I I didn't know how to really – really spin that question without him. He was going to give me, he probably would give me a good answer. Of course, I couldn't ask Whitman any questions because, you know, he doesn't give you a good answer, so I didn't. Yeah, it was the kind of post-game pressure where you couldn't really get too creative with the questions because at any point, somebody would swoop in and say, okay, thanks, guys. Like, it wasn't, it, it was just, it was, there, was, there was a lot of tension. But even with Wall making the wrong decision, that, that that's going to happen. To me, and I don't want to pile on Bill here, but it's on, it's on Beal. He had an amazing second quarter where he scored, I think it was 16 points and everything was going in. And then he didn't score the third or fourth quarter. I think he scored in the first overtime with like two minutes left. And yep, that was his next just com- he just completely checked out. And that's the kind of thing where, I mean, let's say Bill came back in the third quarter with 10 to 15 points and the Wizards were able to create a little separation. That, that, that would have been a big deal. And he just was not, he wasn't even, he was barely shooting. I think he took three shots in between that span. And it just, that's not what a quote unquote max player should be doing because he's not injured at this point. He had already gotten his rhythm going. And when he got the ball, he just was not, it wasn't like the, um, some of the first quarter where he just wasn't getting the ball. I mean, at this point, he just wasn't being aggressive. And that was just so disheartening because I mean, you need 
as we've said three or four times, you need Bill and Wall to be and you know having peak performance, and it just was not happening. And when you're trying to put your foot on someone's neck, like like you should do with Minnesota, it should be all hands on deck, and it, it just wasn't there. And it's like, what is wrong with this team that you can't like last year in the playoffs? Bill was hot, Wall was hot, Pierce was going. Like it seemed like they were hitting on all cylinders, and now auto two, auto two. And it's just not happening this season. And they're, I mean, if they don't make the playoffs right now, they can't even sit back and say, you know what, we, we played our best basketball and we just fell short. Because they're not playing their best basketball. It's completely inconsistent. And I joked with you the other day, I fully expect for them to beat Golden State. And to like end, they're going to end the home winning streak and they're going to get a lot of attention. And then they're going to lose the rest of the games when they're home swimming and they're not going to make a playoff. <laughs> It's just going to be the, the emptiest of feelings. Uh, they, this team is bipolar. Well, let's go from one team that doesn't want to win to another NBA basketball team that doesn't want to win. Your Los Angeles Lakers, otherwise known as Coba Stands. Your Los Angeles Coba Stands. I uh, watched this game last night, and it's, I watched a lot of the second half pretty much. And it's Once again, it was almost like these Philly victories. You know, obviously the Wizards played a lot better than they did against, against Philly, but you just don't get anything out of it. I mean, the Lakers are so sad and sorry. The Wizards won 101 to 88. The game was somewhat close in the first half. Uh, I think the Wizards were up six at halftime. They just kind of, uh, they outscored them 27 to 15 in the third quarter. Uh, Kobe had a bunch of points early. Bradley Beal had an injury scare. He came back and didn't actually have his first bucket till the end of the fourth quarter or during the middle of the fourth quarter. I spent the whole fourth quarter just bitching about why Randy Whitman would put the starters back in up 16 with like three minutes left. It's kind of the downfall of having someone playing for their, their job, essentially, instead of John Wall should just not have played in that game. John Wall took a charge with a minute left and they're up 12 points. I'm like, what are you, what, are, you don't, the franchise should not be taking charges up 12 with a minute left. And I know this is me just bitching or poking around the edges, but that's what I really got out of this game. You know, Gilbert Arenas was there, sitting courtside, got some photos with him. Terrell Owens was there. T.O. was there. Uh, Jack Nicholson was not there. Uh, I guess the Wizards did not get him out. Uh, T.O. was so thirsty to have John Wall talk to him after the game, too. He was just sitting there, just waiting for John Wall, just waiting. Uh, I thought that was funny. I don't think you can really take anything away from this game other than they won a game. Uh, thankfully, they start this road trip with the worst team on it before uh, they go, they move on. Any, any, any thoughts of, of this Lakers game? Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't watch this game like I should have. I mean, it was on and I looked and I saw that Kobe started high and I just, I wasn't interested in the game because I felt like at any point the Wizards could turn it on and, and win and they did. Um, but there, there are a couple of things that struck me. There was a stretch where where the Wizards went from being down three or four to being up 12, 13, and Wall was just completely masterful. It's like he, that very thing that was not evident in the Timberwolves and the Hawks games, he just decided, you know what, let me school these rookies. Let me get my team where it needs to be. And he was just, he was scoring when he wanted to. He was driving aggressively. He scored with both the left and right hands. One time he drove the lane, had a nice little wraparound pass to Nene, and he just completely took over the game, and that gave, the Wizards, the breathing room, they needed it, and they never really trailed after that. So 
Yeah, you, you, know, finish, you can't with take 20, a, 22 points and 13 assists. Also, seven turnovers, of course. <laughs> right. So you can't take a lot from the game, but they, I mean, lost in all just how bad the Lakers are. The Lakers beat the Wizards at home, and when they everybody was swinging on Kobe's nuts. So they had to win this game, and they did. But it it's like the worst kind of thing you want to happen before you go play Golden State because – you're feeling yourself because you beat a team that may not win another game, and now you have to play the very best team in the league. So again, like I told you, I, I just I think that when you look at the first Golden State game and the way they had no answer for Wall and the way Bill played, I, I mean I think they can win. But you know, but let's get back to the Gilbert thing. Yeah, yeah. What did you say? It, it was. You know, it's weird, right? What are your thoughts on Gilbert these days? I haven't gone off on Gilbert yet for a while. I've been kind of trying to ignore him because he he seems like a human troll. (laughs) He does. And I have this thing, like a lot of the people who I, who I like, whether it was Michael Jackson or R. Kelly, when you start to look at them out of what you know them for and you look at them outside of that, you really start to realize how disgusting they are. But when you stick to, how you even came to know them in the first place, you get nostalgic. And so when I was sitting right before they said that Gilbert was there, they showed that 60-point game back in 2006. And oh. you just realized, number one, you realize that Gilbert is five years younger than Kobe, and he's sitting with his kids, and Kobe's still shooting. But I think I just I realized that you I missed the Gilbert era. Like, I just missed when Gilbert was at his best. It was going to the Wizards was fun. Not like, you know, this recent Wizards team was fun and they got to the playoffs, but there was just a certain element of not just Gilbert, but Karan and Jameson. That was just a fun time. And watching those highlights, number one, you forget just how dominant Gilbert was. Just Well, you also, you also got a feeling, it's always exciting when any night he can go for 40 or 50, right? Like, like, right. And, like he, and, have- he, and he'd hit some 25-foot shot, crossover right in somebody's face. You know, like that could happen at any time, time, and, and and that was just it was a fun brand of basketball to watch, right? And we don't have a player like that on the roster. Like he was, he was, he was unstoppable, stoppable when he wanted to be. And so when I was sitting there looking at him, and now he's on the sidelines with his kids sitting next to Mayweather. It's just like, oh yeah, Mayweather was there too. Jeez, like really, has it been that long? You know, I, I just couldn't get over it. And you could tell that Buckhans and Shanier were they were getting nostalgic. You know, they, they went on for quite a long time and I was wondering, was was Ted somewhere in the room like, Okay, I need you guys to shut up. Yeah, cut it, cut it. Right? <laughs> because they really I mean they they started just getting rhapsodic about, oh we miss Gilbert and those were good times and you know, I I was doing the same thing myself. Like I literally got on basketball reference and just looked up some of Gilbert's numbers in the two thousand six season and you just forget oh, he was man. killing. He was killing it, oh, and he, gets, he got to the line anytime he wanted to. That was the other thing that was really valuable about his offensive game is that he, right. how much how much he you couldn't if you laid back on him, then he busted three in your face, and if you're up on him, then he would draw the foul and get to, and make his free throws. I mean, right? So you, I mean, it you know it 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 sucks that he's such a dick now, and he's like <laughs> yeah. like like you can't even like they can't even have. A welcome back Gilbert Arenas night. Like I feel like if the Wizards even have even thinking about Gilbert setting foot the Verizon Center, they have to go through Adam Silver and a whole bunch of checks and balances now because he's just toxic. But for that moment when I saw him right after they were showing the clips, I mean, because that was way better than the game we were watching. I just was like, 
Yeah. Okay, it's, it's, it's nice to see Gilbert. It's a shame that we now know him for what he does off the court instead of what he used to do on it. But that was that was a nice moment. And on Instagram, like I guess a couple hours ago, he posted a picture of he and Kobe standing next to each other with Gilbert's kids. So I mean, it was it was a nice moment. But yeah. he's never he's never going to be back the way Jameson has been back, and you know that's that's not going to happen. No, and I know in his latest his. You know, you lose track of all these. I try to ignore him, and every time he's trending on Twitter, I know I shouldn't click on it because I know it's going to piss me off, and it always does. You know, he's either ripping on the WNBA or he's making some baby mama jokes or just terrible things that aren't just aren't funny. And then you're like, are you just trying to be relevant again? And then he's talking about how he ripped off a casino or a strip club, which I thought was kind of funny in a way, a little bit. But but the rest of them are just not funny. And then the one that really did is the Flint Michigan crisis. You know, it's like really, dude. Like that's your take of of, of the water being poisoned and kids getting poisoned. <laughs> and and that's when I was like, okay, I'm done. Like that. And the, I would say I was done with him. I said, hey, I'm no longer going to advocate for them to retire his number. I just can't do it. I can't ride with you anymore, dude. You're t- just like you said. He's toxic. I mean, I can't. You can't be this bad of a human being. And know that you're doing this and you want attention, but then knowing that you're pissing off all these people for no good reason. You don't have to. And I'm not going to, I'm just not going to ride for you to say, Hey, I want, I want your number retired. I'm just going to say, go back to, I think Phil Schneer should have his number retired, especially for all his contribution as a broadcaster. So that's what, uh, I, I no longer call, uh, Swaggy P, uh, Swaggy P. I just call him Nick Young and I'm no longer advocating, uh, for, Gilbert's number zero to be retired. I know they're, they're probably uh, crestfallen and heartbroken from that stance, but that's where I am with him. And yes, it is nostalgic when you think back at those great times and then they're always bittersweet because of the knee injuries and finger guns and, and how it all, how it all ended. Now, now, the other, before we move on this Lakers game, because we've talked too much on this game, the other, the other part I thought was really funny in this game is the fans of Lakers. I mean, how sad is the, the, one of the best sports franchises in America? the Los Angeles Lakers, that you're watching this basketball game and the crowd is just cheering, we want Kobe, multiple times, like with a beat throughout the whole second half. And Byron, they just show Byron Scott, Kobe's at the end of the bench, they don't put him back in. And it's just like, wow, is this how, is this what it's come to? Like, is this worse than Tony Dorsett with the, with the, the Broncos? I'm trying to think of like all these bad sports stars. I think it wasn't there Willie Mays couldn't run a ball out, something too. I forget what team he was on. You know, there were these like sports stars go to this team at the end of their career and, you know, you make these jokes about it. But I'm like, this is really bad. Like, this isn't even like a basketball team. You know? Let me tell you what I thought about. What, what that part of the game was analogous to, to me was, and maybe this didn't happen to you, but remember in college when you would go to a party or you would do anything and for some reason, like, you were, you were going back to your dorm and you just did not want to go back to your dorm alone. So you end up calling or contacting somebody who, if you were hitting on all cylinders, you would not call at all. <laughs> you call them and say, hey, you want to come back to the room with me? And they come back, and it's like you're, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. But anything beats being alone. Yes. That yes. is what I thought about last night, because here you are. You're getting blown out. Like, the youth, the future of the team is on the floor. You got D'Angelo Russell. You got Randall. I mean, these are these are legitimate they're going to be good players in the future. You don't want to see any of them. You want to see 38-year-old Kobe, who's not even playing well anymore. He was great in the first quarter. 
But, I mean, he was completely gassed at halftime. Like, he looked like he had lost all his energy. He wasn't playing any defense on Otto at all. And you're you're chanting for him? Like, you've looked at this guy for almost 20 years. What? And they did it for, like, 45 minutes, dude. It wasn't just, like, one time. It was going on forever. Yeah, like, you, you – I mean, Lakers fans, of all fans, they know Kobe Bryant. What – do you th- do you think Kobe Bryant, being he's, that he's Kobe, is going to come back when they're getting blown out in the fourth quarter? Like he would never do that. In fact, as they were chanting, he was talking to Ron Artest or Metal World, whatever the fuck his name is, and he was just they were just having a conversation. Like he wasn't even entertaining coming in. Byron Scott didn't even look that way because you you know the deal. Kobe's not coming back, you know. Yeah. And it was just it was it was it was really sad. But I mean. It is like a slump buster, I guess, or it would be what, it'd be like when you, you don't, usually alcohol's involved, you know, you're hollering maybe at someone you normally wouldn't holler, right? <laughs> but as, as you were talking about Swaggy P, I just realized that my first, in 2008, my first year covering the Wizards, I was going into a locker room that on one side had Nick Young, JaVale McGee, Andre Blatch, Dominic McGuire, and then also had Gilbert Arenas, Karan Butler, Brendan Haywood, Anton Jameson. Like Sean Stevenson on that one too. <laughs> like that was that was like it didn't matter. I mean, it did matter, but win or lose, it didn't matter going to that locker room after the game because there, there was it was a gold mine there. Like some nights you can go to Gilbert, some nights you can go to. Nick Young, or you could go to Deshaun. You never could go to JaVale. But, but it was just, it was a gold mine no matter what. And I miss, I don't miss the results of that team, but I miss the personalities. Knowing, I miss the personalities because now when you go into that locker room, it's like, I mean, if they win, even if they win, there are just certain players who you're just not going to get anything from. And it's just like they've been coached up to give you a bunch of platitudes and cliches and, the only player who goes off the script is Gortat, and the minute he goes off the script, it's like the Secret Service swoops in and say, "Okay, guys, that's that's enough," and and, that, and that's it. So, and Gortat didn't even ask, answer questions after the Timberwolves game. He blew it off, and then he apologized on Twitter for missing the free throws. And I was like, "How about you just answer the questions to the media?" I don't know. It frustrates. Oh yeah, it's all it's all or nothing with Gortat. Either he's going to be completely candid and tell you everything you want to know, or he's not going to talk and. Particularly as it looks more and more like this team isn't going to make the playoffs, I, it's the little things that I look for to try to get me through games I have to cover. Um, but what what we should do right now is try to construct a scenario by which the Wizards can make the playoffs. Well, let's, let's, let's nice segue, Rashad. I'm about to say that currently this morning, uh, the Washington Wizards playoff playoff probabilities are 22 percent at 5.38. ESPN has them at 12.4 percent. Basketball Reference has them at 8.3%. They're two and a half back of Detroit with nine games to play. They have a tiebreaker with Detroit. Uh, this is actually an improvement from after the T-Bulls loss. It was, it was way less than that. I know we're still hanging on here. But with the Bulls fading, and the Wizards do have one more game left with Detroit, there is a possibility here that they can rip, rip these games off and – what do you think they have to go here in these last nine games? I mean, seven and two at worst. I mean, eight and one, right? I don't, they basically have to win a game that they're not expected to win, like the Clippers, the Clippers, or the Warriors, right? And the Sacramento game is a tough game because depending on 
I mean, let's say they play Golden State as hard as they did the first time. That that game expends a lot of energy. It's a lot of energy. It's very emotionally draining. And win or lose, it's tough the next night to play a Sacramento team that it's a tough matchup. Like, Boogie Cousins, I mean, tell me you can't envision a situation where Gortat gets three fouls in three minutes and is on the bench. I mean, Boogie Cousins is a tough matchup. He, uh, Nene can't guard him because he's a little too nimble. Gortat is just a fouling machine. And so what are you going to do, put Hickson on him? Yeah. And they're they're not out of the playoffs either, and they're playing really well right now. They just beat the Dallas last night. And so that they're, they're going to be hungry. So well, no matter what happens in Golden State, they have to win that tough game. Against Sacramento. Sacramento. Phoenix is a win. I don't. I'm not worried about Phoenix. The Clippers is another one. That's the game to me that you that, have to win. That must be on ABC. It's a Sunday. It's this Sunday at three thirty. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. So the Wizards have to win that. It's a winnable game. The Clippers are not. Uh, Blake Griffin's coming back, but that's going to throw off their chemistry for a little bit. That that's that's the game they have to win. I, I agree. And then they so, so the Wizards play Golden State, and then Sacramento back to back. Then Friday Thanks, night sir. Phoenix. Sunday afternoon, the Clippers, and then they come back home and play the Nets, and then they go next Friday, April eighth, at Detroit. So, as, so somehow the Wizards have to be two or one game. You know, they have to keep this two game or one game where that game can really be more than just going from four to three or three to two, right? Right. But let's not overlook the Nets, who have beaten two teams that they they beat Indiana, they beat Cleveland recently. That that's that's a tough game. And then the Wizards, then the Wizards finish out at home versus Charlotte, at the Nets again, and then the Hawks at home uh, to to finish it out. You know, obviously, looking at this, you see the Warriors, the Clippers, the Pistons, and then the Hawks and the Hornets. Maybe are the toughest ones, right? But I, I don't, I don't worry about the Wizards getting up for the Warriors and the Hawks and the well, the Hawks a little bit. I worry about those games that. Like Brooklyn, or yeah. or Sacramento. I worry about those games that, just like with Minnesota, if you don't come out right away, like for teams like Sacramento and Phoenix and Brooklyn, if the Wizards come out and are up by twenty after the first quarter, those coaches put up the white flag. They start putting up the players who they need to evaluate for next season. They don't just keep trying to win the game. But if you if you do what you did with Minnesota, where the team is within striking distance, then it, it's a wrap. Well, this, and I just I think that Bradley Bill is is the key here. Like, well, here's here's I, the, here's, I, the, here's the here's the Pistons schedule. They play okay. They play the Thunder at home and then the Mavs at home to finish this nine game home streak that they've the nine game home stand they've been on. And then they play at Chicago, at Miami, at Orlando, Washington at home, Miami at home, and at Cleveland. The thing about the Cleveland game, you know, Cleveland could be playing the reserves, right? So, so who really knows about that one? I mean, Thunder. I guess Thunder and Mavs can beat them. I can see the, even the Heat beating them. You know, they play the Heat twice. I can see the Heat beat them. So they be, the Wizards need them to what? Lose four of those. They need them to lose four, and they, the Wizards can only lose one or two. If they lose four, right. we, we lose two. Then we tie, and then one of those wins, we would beat them in the tiebreaker. Correct. So that's what right. we have to do. Seven and two, they go 
they go four and four. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, that's it's not, it's not out of the it's not out of the, it's not out of the realm of possibility, especially when one of those games is is the Wizards playing them, right? Right, and the and the Pistons have to play Miami, and Miami, we don't know if Bosch coming back, and Miami is stepped up to a point where they're. They could be anywhere from four down to seven. So Miami is going to keep playing because you know that they want to position themselves so that they can play Cleveland in the second round. So yeah, no, no game is no game is a given. It's just that these other teams like Detroit and Indiana, they don't really lose. Well, I know Indiana lost to Brooklyn, but they seem to win more of the games they have to win than the Withers do. Yeah, I... Th- I do see seven and two and four and four for the Pistons is their only shot. Six and three just isn't going to get it done for the Wizards, correct? No. But let me let me ask you a more important question, Adam. Yes. Let's say that the Wizards do eke their way into the playoffs, okay, and they get themselves into a first round series with Cleveland. What under what circumstances does Randy Whitman keep his job? Is it a seventh game series with, with Cleveland was, where where they thinking, give a valiant effort and they push them like what? Because the the other side to this is I mean we're just thinking about can they get in? But the other side to this is do we want them to do enough where Ted Leonsis is going to sell to the fans and to everyone else? Look, he took us to a seven game series against the Cleveland Cavaliers. We're bringing him back. That's the other side of it. So what? What do you think is the line of demarcation of whether Randy Whitman keeps his job or goes? Well, it's funny you mention that because there's another part. Oh, good segue again, Rashad. Uh, Randy Whitman was asked about Kobe yesterday. Got this quote, got everyone uh, tizzy on the Twitter machine. I don't know why he's retiring, Whitman said. Uh, I, I might ask him to come play for the Wizards next year. Which, you know, was probably Randy Whitman being funny and just kind of dry humor. But, of course, how do you think Wizards fans took that? He's coming back next year? <laughs> Randy Whitman, not Kobe, right? I, <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about this last week, Rashad, to answer your question. Is I was like, okay, because it seems to be an either-or, right? Like, oh, if we miss the playoffs, then, yeah, we can miss the playoffs, and then we can fire the coach because everyone wants to fire the coach and maybe even fire, fire Ernie. But then uh, another part of me is like, well, how about what if we – can we still make the playoffs and then still fire him? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, can't we just still can we can we make the playoffs, play whatever you know, losing five or six games the Cavs, and then still fire the coach? Well, I guess you're saying if they force a game seven and it's close, does that give Leonsens that you know with that and his experience, and then also the you know the the, ex- the injury excuse to bring Whitman back? I guess it all depends on what his mind state is now, like. I, we have no idea. We have no way of knowing how he feels now. But I feel like this this season can be nothing but a, a disappointment. And Adam Rubin, our colleague, had a good point when he came up to Bloggers Road during the abysmal Minnesota game. He said at one point, he said, "Do you realize that we have a coach? If he gets fired, he's not on the short list. He's not on anybody's short list. Like literally, not only is he not on the short list, but his whole staff." They're just going to go somewhere and fade, as Mike Tyson said, into Bolivian. Like, nobody's going to pick up Randy Whitman as a head coach. He's going to he'll probably go to Minnesota as an assistant coach. But we literally have a coaching staff that nobody else wants except who we have. And I just – I think that this year 
it's as much about, I mean, yes, it's about injuries, but it's also about coaching. But I, I just, if I'm an owner, do I want to pay another coach if the coach that I had just pushed Cleveland to a seven-game series in the first round? That's just as good as a, a second-round defeat, right? So, But we've also, we've also seen the NBA. I mean, they fired Kevin McHale. They fired David Blatt. They fired Lionel Hollins after the, he had success, 51 seasons with Memphis, right? I mean, I mean, you've seen this league. How many different coaches have been fired since Randy Whitman has been there in four years? It's like, what, 50? 50 different jobs have switched, right? I think he's like... I mean, Lionel Hollins literally has gotten fired... Twice. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. And both teams, like, he got fired after, like, a 50-plus win season with Memphis. Mm-hmm. You know, Kevin McHale got fired after the Eastern, at the Western Conference Finals. I mean, these are coaches who have had more success than Randy Whitman, and they've gotten canned because the owner of the GM decides, yeah, we're doing okay, but I feel like we can do so much better. Get out. And and we have an owner who, I don't, I don't know. Like, you couldn't fire Randy Whitman after last year because of where the Wizards were. There was a certain momentum, but... That that momentum is completely gone. Like we're now back to and, and I don't th- and Rashad. I don't to answer your question, to talk about what your question. Was, I don't think how they do in the, unless they beat the Cavs. I don't think it really matters if they lose, get swept, or go seven. You know what I mean? Like this season's a disappointment. It's it's it, you know you, there's no way to spin that at all. And, and, I mean Ted can try. They're like oh yeah, hey, we didn't get blown out by the Cavs. We competed, and we were. Essentially, but if he's result-driven, we did not get as far as we did. We we barely got into the playoffs magically, right? This has been an underwhelming from all aspects. The team has not gotten better. The franchise is not in a better place, and coaching has a lot of lot of lot of, lot of that to do with it. And if someone's not going to be held accountable, if it's not Grunfeld, then it has to be Whitman, right? So my other, my other question is to the other extreme, if they do not make the playoffs. Is he a slam dunk to be canned? Oh, I think so for sure. I, yeah, it has. I mean, I, how about this? I, it's tough. I've always been tough about women because people. You know, it's one person's decision, right? <laughs> Instead of the, I, I can't. I don't get into his mind. But we've seen with the Caps where he's replaced coaches, and so I always use the Caps as an example. And he's only really replaced this one. He only, you know, he only got rid of Flip and and, and hired women internally since he's took on, took on over control of the team. And he also has a board. They're season ticket holders. If they don't make the playoffs, those people are going to be pissed. You're going to have to throw them a bone. And, and hiring a new coach is, is one of those bones, right? I mean, I, it, how much he really cares, and how much the the staff cares. I talked to him a lot last, last podcast with Ben Becker, and he kind of mentioned. He doesn't know how much that really plays in now with how much money the TV revenue is now. So as long as 90% people come back to their season tickets, that maybe doesn't really matter so much the on-court success, which it's hard for me to argue that they don't want to be successful, but it isn't so much a priority. They want to keep costs down. How about that, right? I think that it does matter because, look, up until – Three years ago, you could say, we have Wall and Bill. We have a great backcourt. And then two years ago, you could say, hey, look, we made the playoffs. We're up and coming. And then after last year, you could say, we're, we're, we're right on the cusp. What can you tell the fans now? Because you can't say Durant. You know, you can't say we made the playoffs. You can't. I mean, 
they've taken a significant step back. And I think that the only bone that you can throw the fans is, look, yes, we're raising ticket prices, but we're bringing back, we're bringing a new coach. And who that coach is, I don't know. Well, Calipari, maybe. I doubt it. But if you make a splash in the head coaching department, then you can convince the fans, okay, it's it's worth it. Because right now, I mean, we, we, we hear fans talking. We see things. They're just not inspired right now. And this is the first time since before Bill got here where they're literally not like nobody thinks Durant is coming here anymore. They don't, you don't even hear that floated out anymore. And it's just, I feel bad for the fans because there's nothing to look forward to. And then, I mean, and like, you, and then you have like, the same people running the, the franchise, right? You have the same people in charge. Well, <laughs> correct. You know, I'm for once, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get on Grunfeld right now because I think that this roster right now, this is a playoff team with the right coach. I don't think it's a roster issue. I think it's a coaching issue. There have been times when there have been questionable moves made, and I think that it very much is a personnel issue. I don't think that's the case right now. So I'm not going to – I'm going to grant uh, Grunfeld a reprieve right now. And I, I think that, you know, he has to he has to fire Whitman. He and Leonsis have to fire Whitman, and they have to come up with a, a good coach. And Adam Rubin and I were sitting there trying to think – who is that coach going to be? I mean, ideally, it will be Jeff Van Gundy, but he seems to be on that John Gruden where that TV money is getting good to him. He's not going to come back. He's been in the booth for a minute now. Um, Calipari would be ideal, but I think the kind of control Calipari wants, Leonsis is just not going to give. And the money, so, too. I don't see Leonsis uh, handing over that money to Cal and the control, right? I mean, you'd have to fire Grunfeld, essentially, pay him out whatever he owes him, give Cal tons of more money, have him build a front office. I would like to see maybe Tommy Shepard get the job and kind of have maybe Grunfeld retire, push him out, and then hire a completely new staff. I think that is more of what I would see maybe Ted doing, kind of following the model that he did with the that he did with the Caps. He promoted within. It's worked out. Once again, I'll knock on wood. And then spent you know it's got it got a coach who coached in Nashville before some experience and. So I like. Hopefully, I see him seeing that and doing that. Unfortunately, it's just how much the the human element plays here. I mean, they're like a family, and it's almost like they have to divorce someone, you know. And I know Ted's not against that per se, but you know, women's brother died. You had flips passing. You know, there are injuries. Ted sits right next to him. He knows if he's a good coach or not, right? Sitting right next to him. So, or what his perception is, right? Of what of what right. he is, that doesn't mean that the results. And when it comes to you know what what do the other board members say? What are the other people on the monumental sports board? I mean, Ted just owns control, you know, majority stake. I mean, all these other people have financial interest in that. They're also fans. You know what else? You know, you can't really point to anything, and you don't have a draft pick like I continually harp on. Kevin Grant doesn't come. You don't make the playoffs. John Wall is going to probably get snubbed in Team USA by by Coach K again. <laughs> and we're just right back on this kind of depressing, depressing take. Now it's funny because we're going to end here on the Twitter questions. I got a bunch uh, throughout here, and then we'll just start with this one from Eric uh, or Aronison. Uh, I hope I didn't mess that up, Eric. He says, "Coaching candidates to replace Whitman? Why to keep or to let go of Ernie Grunfeld? Does Ted Ted really care about the Wiz winning? I will let you start on that one. Who who would you like to see to replace Whitman?" And you think Ernie's not going to get 
uh, replaced. I believe that he won't get replaced. He probably, maybe his time has passed and they need new, fresh leadership. I don't see that happening. I see Whitman probably getting fired regardless if they make the playoffs or not. And unless they upset the Cavs, I, I think that his time is probably done. I would like to, what's that Miami Heat uh, lead assistant? I like him. I, I'd like to see to go to, you know, maybe even Sam Cassell to come back with John Wall. Well, yeah, that... I would, so, I would, something like that. I'd like to see a young guy get a shot, more so than a retread right. old I guy. Think, I mean, if we're going to go to the old guy, which I'll probably try, you know, maybe, I don't know about D'Antoni. I don't know how much his system really works, but, you know, I think it either has to be or even a Thibodeau. I don't know how much Thibodeau's kind of a jerk, but he's a good coach. I don't know how much well, they I don't pay think, for them. Yeah, it can't be Thibodeau because he's not. Offensively, it'd be bad for Wall, right? Right, and it can't be D'Antoni because he's like the complete opposite. Yeah. I think I think Sam Cassell would be good. I think, I mean, Cassell, for all intents and purposes, left the left DC because he thought that he was in line for a head coaching job and it wasn't going to happen. And he figured, I'm going to sit in the bench. I'd rather sit next to Doc, not Coach Whitman. So, you know, he would be a good fit. Um, on my wish list, I would like Luke Walton. You know, I would like Van Gundy because these are, are I mean, Van Gundy is, he's a basketball guy and he just commands respect. And I think that that's something that hasn't happened in the Wizards locker room for a while where you just respect them on name only. Uh, but, you know, I really would like Luke Walton because he has a, he has a good temperament. Um, but again, how attractive is it? Well, I guess it is attractive because you have a you have a, a backcourt that's top five, so it, it's it's an attractive position. But I'm always leery on a GM and a coach who aren't on the same page. And so, you know, like when Eddie Jordan was here, that's not who Eddie Grunfeld wanted. And as soon as he could get rid of him, he did. So, you know, there, there's a lot of moving parts here. And then, you know. I don't, I don't know. To answer your question, Luke Walton, Sam Cassell, Jeff Van Gundy, those are the three on my list. Uh, Lionel Hollins is a retread. I, I don't want him because he doesn't, he's not inspiring. Uh, Brian Shaw, no thank you. But that's, that's who I have on my list. Um, David Fisdell is the guy's name. He's a lead assistant for Miami. He was one of the, when they had, came out for the rankings like a year ago, he's been there, been really, Influential in some of the development of their players, so I, I'd like to see get a get a get a elite assistant guy who's paid his dues and give him a shot. What about David Blatt? David Blatt, <laughs> <laughs> his record's pretty good. I mean, from the reports, it seemed like all the players didn't like him. But then, then again, I don't know. LeBron's running the show over there, so as long as LeBron doesn't like you, then I don't think anything else matters, right? And LeBron is a, is a walking uh, contradicting. Uh, talk about being moody. Uh, all right, here we go. Question from uh, Sir Sir Ah. I don't know if that's your name as well, but that's his Twitter handle. Uh, Wait, we have to. We can't. We didn't. We didn't answer the other guy's question. Oh, yes, Ted Leonsis cares about winning. Oh yeah, winning. He about winning. cares about winning, but he also has other things he has to consider. But he cares about winning. He knows that when the Caps are winning, everything is lovely. He knows that in this town, when when the Washington Football Team is winning, everything is good. So he cares about winning. I guess the question is. Does he know what it takes to get them there consistently? So, okay, 
Let's yeah. go to the next. I, I think Ted does care about winning as well. Uh, Gortat, pick and roll weapon, weapon, decent rebounder. Is this defense good enough for us in 2016 and 2017? He's basically just asking about Gortat's play this season and moving forward. Look, okay. Earlier I said that if we let go of Whitman, nobody would snatch him up. He would just fall to the bottom of the pile. If we let go of Gortat, there would be at least 15 to 20 teams who would love to snatch him up. He's excellent on the pick and roll. He has great hands. Yes, he misses bunnies. No, he can't shoot free throws. But a 31-year-old center who can run the floor and is in great shape and can score, what, anywhere between 12 to 17 points a night is a commodity. So I can live with Gortat's substandard defense. He does things that not every big man can do. And in this era of small ball, he's a nice you know, he's a, he's a nice compromise. He can run the floor. He can shoot a little jumper. And most importantly, he works well with John Wall. That is not a weapon you want to take away from John Wall because what or who are you going to replace him with? So I don't care how Gortat's defense is. I don't care that he misses free throws. He does enough when things are going well that you have to you have to let John Wall work with him. That's something that he can count on. How many first quarters have we watched where he's just getting Gortat the ball any and everywhere? So no, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm not. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not worried about his defense. I'm worried about how well he works with my star point guard. And that right now they have a great chemistry. So you can you can get somebody else in the starting five or off the bench to play the defense that Gortat doesn't play. Yeah, and, and Gortat has been really really good. Uh, been pretty solid, and he hasn't really missed any games for injury as well. And so you know he's he's there. He's reliable. Yes, he can be frustrating at times with certain moves. His post game is limited, but you can get him on the move. He sets really good screens. I think he's a good teammate. Uh, he's been a good mentor for Marquise Morris as well. And his contract is, you know, it is what it is. I mean, still people are bitching about that extra year, but now when you look at, I mean, how much money is Hassan Whiteside going to get here this off season? And I know they're totally different kind of players, but you know, hey, for for what the money that you got to play for a big. Especially in a in this era of small ball and a pick and roll league, still and to have a really good big guy that his strength is is doing the pick and roll, especially learning from Steve Nash, one of the best of all time, and now him and Waller, you know, it's one of their best uh, options. And when we see Bradley Beal have success, him and Gortat can really get the pick and roll going. So yeah, I'm not as worried about his defense. It does it does, you know. It can be slippage, especially when I see Nene play really good defense. But Gorta does okay. Uh, they this guy a lot of coaching questions. What do you think of Becky Hammond, the, the assistant coach for the Spurs? Or she's on the staff. I don't know what her t- real title is, but what do you think about her as a candidate to be the coach? Okay, so it's very um, progressive. A weeks ago, very progressive and forward thinking too. By the way, David Aldridge had an article about assistant coaches. Who, whose time it is to have a head coaching job based on the dues that they paid. I think David Vanderpool was on that list. The Miami assistant that you, yep. I spoke of was on that list. And these are people who have paid their dues and who deserve a shot based on the work that they put in. Becky Hammond hasn't put in that work. I think she would even tell you that. She's not, she was given an opportunity based on the work that she's done up until then by Greg Popovich, but she's not ready for a head coaching job. It's just not, and it has nothing to do with her gender. It has to do with, you just, you have, there's a certain, I mean, yeah, there's some examples of like Ty Lue and Derek, well, not Derek Fisher, 
but Ty Lue and Jason Kidd are people who jump right in. But there's a, there's a certain initiation that you have to go through where you have to sit on the bench a little while. And well, Lou, Lou, paid some, Lou paid some dues for Boston, though. No, Lou, Lou, Lou did. That was a bad example. I was, Fisher I meant, and uh, Kidd. Fisher and Kidd did not. Fisher and Kidd. So... No, I don't. Earl Watson has he? I feel like he just was playing last year. Earl Watson is the placeholder of all placeholders right now. So no, that's that's, that's a bad example. But you know, I'm not I'm not saying that she can't be a coach because realistically, every assistant coach who's on the bench, except for Patrick Ewing, is a candidate for a coach eventually, depending on how much experience they get. But right now, not yet, and I wouldn't want to make that move. I mean, it's a nice PR thing to do, but. You're just not going to hire somebody who hasn't paid their dues. Well, so that's let's, let's go back to Patrick. Why can't Patrick Ewing ever get a job? Is is he is he turning into like Rick Barry? Uh, who else? Who's another one where you just uh, Bill Ambeer used to always bitch about how he couldn't get a shot, and then he went to the WNBA and he's had success. And Rick Barry would always bitch at everyone. And your boy Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said he got blackballed. Is Ewing on that list where just this really great player that just can't get a coaching job? I don't know. It's weird. Okay, right? he, 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 said, he said a lot of things right now. <laughs> like Rick Barry, Rick Barry can't get a job because he's, he's, he's an asshole. And yeah. he alienated coaches, the media, front office people. So that's what, with Rick Barry. With Patrick Ewing, and I realize I shouldn't say this for so many reasons, but you just get the – get the impression that he's not cerebral enough to be a head coach. And I've, I've talked to him off the record. I've talked to him on the record. I just don't, I don't see that in him. And it's not, it's not a knock on him. He just, he's not head coaching material. And that happens sometimes. I mean, I, I just don't get the sense that he can run a team. Um, Kareem is more in the Rick Barry camp where he was such an introvert. The, by the time he decided to be an extrovert and show that he could do it, it was too late. People had already discounted him. Like, for Kareem, it has nothing to do with whether people think he's smart enough. Everybody agrees that he has the smarts, but nobody just knew he even wanted to coach. And then by the time they knew it, it was it was too late. So I, I, threw, that, but, I threw that Kareem in there because I know you're a big fan of Kareem. I, I can, yeah, I know. I, you I, I, I can get you going. I can get you going. I can get you going. <laughs> you know, just throw out one of the, one of the guys I've idolized my whole life. Just, just throw him out in a negative context out of it. Just let me let that. I can't let that slide. <laughs> but the reality is we have no, like, I think it's 50-50 whether Whitman comes back. Like, we have no idea what's going to happen because we're dealing with an owner who's very, very reluctant to make a change. I mean, with Flip, he had no choice. He had to get rid of him. But I feel like now none of us would be surprised if, Ted wrote a blog saying, look, we had a bad year. We had a lot of things happen that are against the norm. I'm going to bring Whitman back because we have this, this, and this coming back. None of us would be shocked if we saw that. And none of us would be shocked if before the draft started, Whitman was canned and the whole staff was canned. So it, it can run the full gamut. We just don't know because we know what this owner's tendencies have been, but we also know the reality facing the team. That just makes for an interesting summer. Like, whether they make the playoffs or they get a new coach, we do know that the time between now and September is going to be very interesting. There's going to be a lot of stuff to write about. Well, plus we only have five or six guys on a contract, and we're going to have a whole different team potentially. Yes. You know? uh, okay, the next question. Do, would we trade Ubre and Gortat for Jahil Okafor? <laughs> no. 
I, I say Thanks. no. I say no too. Number one, we aren't sure that Okafor isn't the second coming of Andre Blatch, and I don't think he is. Um, I think he just had a tough time adjusting. But I, I'm just not. Again, Gortat is not negotiable. He works too well with John Wall. He's too good. He's too good of a big man. And Ubre. There was, a, there was a little stretch there in December and January where he was an effective player. He was confident. Yeah, he was still a little erratic on offense, but the willingness to play defense in a player who was in his rookie year is something that you just cannot ignore. You can work on everything else, but the fact that he wants to play defense and is good at playing defense is something that you don't get rid of. No. I would be willing, I'd be willing to trade Otto or Nene or somebody else, but I'm not getting rid of Gortat or... Or uh, that's just not that's not a good look. We can't we we don't have a good track record with young talent as it is. He's a young talent. He has a little more fire to him than Otto. Keep him around. Should the Wiz tank so they have a better chance of keeping their first round pick? Uh, I think Bulls Forever wrote something today how it's pretty much still impossible. For, we'd have to lose out to maybe keep the pick and there's too many teams uh, below us in the standings for us to get into the top nine yes there's still a chance if we miss the playoffs with the probability but we'd have to jump all we have to jump all the way into the top three right and i don't uh, the odds are you know a couple percents or whatever not impossible because it seemed to work out for the bulls when they got derrick rose and the Cavs as well i believe when they got kyrie uh i think they have to try to make the playoffs I, I don't think tanking yeah, I really happen. do because at this point tanking is is it's, it's difficult. I mean, if you were going to tank, you could come up with a reason why to shut down Bill for the season, but it's it's too late for that. That had to happen a little earlier. By the way, the Bulls lost tonight. Oh, the Bulls so, lost. Nice, like the updates. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the they last the, the last one. Are are the Wizards going to re up Allen Anderson or Marcus Thornton? I will throw in Garrett Temple or Drew Gooden. Is it, who or Nene? Who on the who on the the veteran type of players on the one year deals? I, I guess could you even throw in Gary Neal anymore? I don't think so. But who who would you see them bringing back? Temple comes back, and the reason Temple comes back is he has a great relationship with Beal. We've seen that all season, and he's just. He's just too good of a too good of a locker room guy. Like a lot of people gravitate towards him. He's a hard worker. No, he should not be starting, but he's just a good player off the bench, so he stays. Nene is a good. That's a good question because I still don't think that Nene. I've been more impressed with Nene off the bench than I was in the starting lineup. Like he comes in, he throws his weight around. If he has it, you know right away. If he doesn't have it, he's on the bench. You know, he's not going to command a lot of money. I, I, Nene is worth bringing back. I don't think they will, but Temple is a must. There's, there's too, there are too many intangibles that Temple brings to the table. And I think that, again, I know our colleague John doesn't necessarily like him, but I don't think John likes him as the starter every time Bill goes down. I don't think that's his role, but I think that he's too good of a player to have off the bench. And please believe that if the Wizards do not sign Garrett Temple, there will be Five to ten other teams will snatch him up because he's he's proven that he's a good defender. He can knock down shots when they're there. No, you don't. You don't. You don't get rid of Temple. Allen Anderson and Thornton. 
Thornton, Thornton, though, he's just not. No, he's not impressive to me. I, I see Ellen Anderson has a chance. Him and Wall seem to really get a, get along, and it depends on the money. I and mean, he is, he had a terrible season, so his leverage, you know, being injured all year, his leverage will be down. So I could, and he, you know, shown that he can shoot the three and what they really want to do, and he can play some defense as well. So he would be a candidate. It all all depends on the money. Drew Gooden's. NBA career probably is over. I feel Nene might retire. I think he might go the my feelings on Nene. I talk to Nene a lot. I haven't really talked to him about this. He just, you know, he's always funny and we I talked to him off the record because he never wants to do an interview uh, on the record. <laughs> so I was talking about his kids. I, you know, I talked to him about you know, his body and you know how he's feeling and he gives me some funny quotes in his Brazilian accent and always smiling and nice and making some comments about some player that, you know, or complaining about the refs. It's a typical Nene. I can see him going to the Brazilian Olympics and just calling it a career, potentially. Well, he's not going to do anything until he consults with the Lord, Adam. Yes, so yes, yes. We have to. I, I, I know. I was really disappointed because it was Good Friday on Friday, and I had, had, my, had my lead written. The Wizards win, and overtime, they made a couple good buckets. Of course, he's going to... He's going to play well on Good Friday. You know, the Easter game will always go down. Uh, two years ago against the Bulls is, 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 is an important, important game. Game one uh, of a playoff series that the Wizards won. It kind of set the tone for, for that series. Uh, yeah, so I did ask him a funny question about Easter, too. When Before that, too, I kind of baited Nene into talking about Jesus, and he dropped about three or four, uh, you know, JC references in his answer. I... The other question on uh, from Reginald uh, Francois, I'm sorry, uh, Reginald, if I messed up your name, uh, Francois maybe, uh, has Otto peaked? How do you feel about Otto's season so far? I feel Otto has played really well lately, uh, especially on defense. And, he, and I think he shot, especially from three-point range over the last month, uh, kind of similar to how, how he played in the playoffs last last year. Okay, so I am going to hit you with another pop culture reference here. Yes. So, I, don't, I think it was Bomani Jones. I don't know if it, was, it could have been somebody else that said, if you want to appreciate Drake, don't look at him as a rapper. Just look at him as an entertainer. And so that when he releases some shit that is not rap and he's singing, you're not looking at it through the prism of, this guy's supposed to be a rapper. You're looking at it as, oh, he's just an entertainer. And it doesn't seem so bad anymore. Okay. So, move that to Otto. I think one of the disappointments with Otto is when you realize that he was a number three pick in the draft, you're expecting to see Carmelo was a number three pick in the draft. You know, you're expecting to see a player who makes a jump. Like, Bill made that jump in between his first two years. Otto has not made the jump. There are peaks and valleys. He's injured. He loses confidence. But you're not seeing that. Like, at no point this season have you seen that player who... So in the playoffs last year, you feel like, okay, there's a certain ascent that he's making. It just seems to be always... He has sports, he has sports once right. in a while, right, where he shows right. it, but he never puts it together over long stretches. Right, which is pretty much like the Wizards as a whole this season. <laughs> yes. So I don't... It's, it's disappointing because it's just not consistent. Like, if... Like, right this season, we've been able to count on Wall. We have not been able to count on Bill, and you definitely can't count on Otto. If we if we got to the point where you knew that Otto was going to give you 15 to 20 a night, 
I would I would feel good about him, but I, I just I don't. I mean, again, not to reference David Aldridge on tonight, but he said that you know Otto's been good, not great this year, and that's just not what you expect in the number three pick. So I'm, it's disappointing that he's not more consistent. I know Ben Standick right now is cursing me because that's his, that's his boy, but it's just the reality. He's not now. He's been fighting injury, and maybe he's not. He's not being fully forthcoming with how injured he is. Yeah, so no, I, that's think, I still think that he's. I mean, he's still dealing with that hip. I mean, he's still playing with a partially torn hip, supposedly. Right, and if he is, and he's being quiet about it, and he's just trying to suck it up, then I'll give him all the credit in the world, because there's somebody on this team who every time they have a hangnail, it's like the worst thing ever. I won't say any names, but you know who I'm talking about. Yes. So, you know, if he's, if he's truly dealing with something, then more power to him, but it's just it's been disappointing. He hasn't been the player that I thought he was going to be, particularly after, you know, when you play well against Toronto, and then Pierce goes, you're expecting that he's going to feel like, okay, I'm going to pick up where he left off, and that just hasn't happened. But My, my criticism of Otto, Otto is more, sometimes in games, I can't tell if he's been playing. Right. <laughs> you know, exactly. like, like I'm like, oh, has Otto done? No, maybe he's hit a couple shots here and there, but I've never, so there'll be stretches of games where I don't even know if Otto is in there, and I think Whitman even referenced that one game, I, I can't remember, maybe it, was, maybe it was after that disastrous Bulls loss, but and then there's other times where he gets pushed around. His lack of strength really hurts him, especially down low. And even his limited athleticism. We saw in the Timberwolves game one time, you're like, just dunk it, dude. Right? Like, he, like, missed, like, a, a layup because he's not, like, ath- he has, like, sneaky athleticism. He's not athletic per se, but he's not not athletic, right? Like, he can make some athletic moves. Is that you just don't see that explosiveness at him, and that hurts him, especially finishing around the rim. And he can't really create his own shot off the dribble, but he can get in the passing lanes. He can get on the break. He's a smart player. He has the basketball instincts. He's one of those players that can really shine with other players around him. And he has a chance, I think, to really be a, a, a third or fourth option uh, offensively on, on a team is that he just has to get more stronger because I think that he could potentially be a stretch four type of player where he could play the four spots in different spurts and do some different things with lineups. But you can't when he's getting shoved out of bounds by a guard. Right? I mean, I mean he's, it's not like he's going to yeah. be bigs wailing. That's this is what I said. You're way more optimistic than I am. You're, I, like, no, you're ready to done. You're ready to move on. Right, like the guy who asked me before that I want to trade Gortat and Ubre. No, but I would trade, trade Otto? Otto Porter and someone else. I, I would. Because I think he has enough, like, the unbridled enthusiasm, uh, optimism that you just talked about right now. You could sell that to another team to trade for him and get something or someone who actually will contribute. So, But, we, but in um, Wizards fashion, Rashad, we got to wait for their value is the lowest there is, and then we'll try to trade them. <laughs> and we'll trade them to the Lakers for the, for the you know, Kobe Bryant. Him and Whitman coming back. Kobe in D.C. It's like Michael Jordan all over again. All right, last question. Uh, this is Reginald as well. Has Wall ever indicated he actually wants to play with Boogie Cousins? And this keep going. This even more. Would you want Boogie Cousins on the Wizards? And you would Wall and Boogie be a good combination? Okay. Number one, Wall is way too loyal to ever say anything like that. He's not LeBron, where he's going to talk about I have dreams of playing with so and so and so. So he's not going to do that. But I will defer to the quintessential American sports writer Bob Ryan, 
who said on the Tony Kornheiser show last week that you basically have to throw everything out of the window of Boogie Cousins as it relates to the Sacramento Kings because they're an unstable franchise. They have a turnstile, like head coaches are just in and out of there. The GMs don't seem to know what they're doing, and it's just a very turbulent franchise, and they he should have never been coupled with George Carl. And so, yes, he has some issues, but those issues have been exacerbated by uh, inept franchise. So, that being said, I just don't think it's a good it's a good fit here. I, I, I don't I don't I don't I don't think that's a good fit because I mean, can anyone control Boogie Cousins? I mean, at some right. point, at some point, it gets back to yes, Sacramento is so dysfunctional. That owner, the owner, the GM, they fire coaches, they get rid of a good coach Mike Malone, which pissed off Boogies. They they brought in George Carl, that hasn't worked out. Boogie didn't even want him. Your star player and him are not on the same page. They're currently now Boogie Cousins is, is straight up, you know, sending tweets out with snakes in the grass. Uh, I mean, just a drama and drama, drama with the Kings. And at some point, though. Yeah, like how much is this on Boogie, right? Like, I, 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 and I and I always defer to players. I, I will take the player side majority of the time, but at some point, where's the responsibility lies with him? They, they grow up. Like when I watch him play, it's just like he freaks out. They go freak out over one back call on a ref, and then he'll be done for a quarter. And he's a he's a beast. I mean, he right now is physically one of the most dominant guys down low in this league. Right? I mean, I would, I mean, he is, there's, you know, especially with how, how smaller in this league is going to shoot more shooting. Man, you get him the ball in the block, you, I would argue, especially his rebounding, is one of the best and dominant guys in the league. And it just seems that whenever I've watched him, and not, obviously not that often, but when we watched him with the Wizards over the years, it just seems like he's just miserable. Like he doesn't like the game of basketball. He's a head case. He freaks out. I mean, what, he went after Sean Elliott a couple years ago. He's went after, what, Paul Westfall, got him fired. He's went, he's had multiple, multiple run-ins. He what, he got suspended for being insubordinate the other day. He's freaked out in the locker room. I mean, that's the stuff we just know is reporting. I mean, just think what he's like behind the scenes, what we don't know, right? And, and well, I just don't yeah. know if that's something that we want. And, and what I don't understand, and I get it on paper, it's like John Wall and him are boys. But just because they hung out in college one year doesn't mean that John Wall wants to put up with his shit. I got a lot of friends I really don't want to live with. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or work with. Right. I don't, I don't know if that's a good fit. I don't know that given – I think you're rolling the dice if you get Markeith Morris and you get a, a Boogie Cousins. Like, I, don't, I don't think that's a good fit here given our history. Uh, I think you'd probably have to give up Beal. You'd have to give up Beal to get him probably too, right, in the pick. Now – to, to address the other questioner, if we had to offer a combination of Gortat and Oubre and somebody else for Boogie Cousins, then I'd have to think about it. Um, but, you know, I'd much rather have like an Al Horford or somebody who's low key who you know is going to be consistent. I don't, I don't, I, I just, I just don't know how realistic that is. Yeah. In- John Wall can't control Boogie Cousins. I don't, I don't think anyone can. No, he can't. Now, granted, Boogie hasn't been on a team where... There has been a, a winning environment around him. So how much is this on Boogie and how much is it on the... They're letting him run free. And there's nobody else, like a veteran or no other stability 
or Boogie feels slighted. And, what, and it seems that Boogie's one of these loyal guys where if he feels he's slighted in any capacity, that then he's he's done with you, right? He's done. It doesn't matter what you say or do. He's he's over. Right. I mean, he could be like like our test before he got to the Lakers and like whatever year that was. He was kind of a loose cannon, but but that run for the Lakers when they went they went to back to back NBA finals and they won. He was, you know, he still had his occasional hiccups, but they were significantly less and fewer than they were when he was on shitty teams and. You know, maybe that's it. I just, I just don't know that the Wizards are a stable enough organization where they can withstand somebody like Boogie Cousins. I just, I just think that, not, not to mention Gilbert again, but I, I just think it hasn't been long enough since Gilbert and Blatch and all of them were here where you can take on somebody like that. Unless, now, you know, John Wall could easily do a power move and say, look, you know, I, I'm going to vouch for him. I want him here. I, I will, you know, I, I will take care of it. Don't worry about it. Bring him here. Sim- similar to what Dudley and Gortat basically did for Marquise. Right. If he did something like that, then you have a legitimate dilemma on your hands. But I haven't heard. I just don't think Wall has it in him to be that demonstrative about who he wants to be here. He, he's he's very conscious of his image and what he says. And I just, I just don't think that'll happen. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. But it's also... You know, the situation with the king, something has to give at some point, right? They either kind of like keep him, get some people around him, or get rid of him before his before his value is, you know, you can't get as much because he can just leave for free agency, right? I think I think he's a contract for two more years and then he can go. I believe so. Yes. Yeah, something like that. So you're probably either gonna trade him this summer, or because if you try to wait next summer, then people are just gonna be like, well, we'll just wait for him to be a free agent, right? All right. Rashad, great, great stuff, dude. We have did a monster podcast, so we have been gone for a couple of weeks, and we came back firing, you know, firing all cylinders. Any, any, any parting words for the people before before we wrap this up? I just want the people to to uh, make a mental note in their head that I predicted that the Wizards were going to defeat the Golden State Warriors tomorrow night. Uh, calling a shot. So when we're doing when I'm up celebrating. On Twitter, yelling to strangers uh, about this shock in the world, uh, I, I will make sure to give you props about who called it. <laughs> See, that's the thing. I don't, I don't, I don't even think it's a shock. I think that if you look at the Warriors, they have struggled with quick point guards. I mean, they've done that all year, and I think that if you get them in a situation where they have to defend just as hard as they have, they're moving on offense, which they have to do with Beal and Wall. It puts them at a disadvantage. If if Wall is coming down and Curry has to chase them all around and Thompson has to run through pace to catch Beal, it, it, it takes away from them, you know? And they have Markeith Morris who can now guard Draymond Green. You know, Gortat can totally just nullify anything that Bogey can do. Like, just matchup to matchup, it's fine, but, you know, it's, it's not so far-fetched that they can make this upset because you saw how they... They played when they were here. They were hanging right there for a little bit, and so yeah. What well, I mean, the only difference in that game was when Wall they took Wall out with foul trouble, and then they pretty much pulled away. Right, and the Wizards so, took their best shots. Curry went nuts. And they had they 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 took it to them. I mean, they they did have a chance to win that game, and they played really well. And and two years ago, two seasons ago, the Wizards won in Golden State. Now, obviously, it's, this Golden State's a little bit different, but there is some success they can point to. Uh, 
to win. Now, last year they got their asses kicked there, but right. uh, so. they couldn't score. But I don't know, Well, I'm ready. To, I'm ready for this game to start. Let's get, let's get it rocking. This could be the Super Bowl. That's right. Let's get it going. Well, thank you everyone for thanks to Rashad uh, for staying with us here and breaking down all these topics. Go to truthaboutit.net. Me and Rashad both wrote on the T-Wolves game. They both should be up. And he also wrote about the Hawks game last week. Keep keep covering. I'm going to try to keep doing this podcast. I'll probably try to do one after these two games. And maybe we'll, we'll, we'll have a party for, uh, you know, taking down. T- how many did they won in a row? Like 38 in a row, dude. Yeah, <laughs> lots and lots. <laughs> so much. But, yes, thank you, everyone, for your support. And, as always, go Wiz. The five foot assassin with the roughneck business. I float like gravity, never had a cavity. Got more rhymes than the one that's got family. No need to sweat our senior to gain some type of fame. No shame in my game, cause I always do the same. Styles upon styles upon styles is what I have. You wanna just a fight but you still don't know the half. I sport new balance sneakers to avoid a narrow path. Messing right with this against the size of the I never have stuff, cause I'm not a half stuffer. Drink a lot of soda, so they call me Dr. Pepper. Refuse to compete with BS competition. Your name is Specialist, so won't you suck with the mission? I never walk the street, think it's all about me. Even though deep in my heart, it really could be. I just try my best to like go all out. Somebody uh, even say, Yo, shorty, uh, black your uh, bucket uh, out. Uh, Zulu Nation, mother's last creation. Minds get flooded. Ejaculation, right on the two-inch tape. The abstract poet incognito runs the cape, not the best, not the worst. And occasionally I curse to get my point across. So bust the force as I go in between the grit and the dirt. Listen to the mission, listen, missions I do work um as a crack the monotone. Chilling up the jazz, so get your own. Smoking on repeat because they try to dupe me of the best of the pack, but they can't do rap for us. Abstract, original, you can't get your own, and that's pitiful. I know I beat a man if I cold yank the plug on R&B, but I can't, and that's bar. Your brain against my mind, but those about to boot out, or your nasty kid is even though you see I'm bugging.